There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 960. Let's go to the corkboard for happenings. In the ID10T community, just like you. Oh, I have one. I want to promote something for somebody. Why do you want to promote two things? Um, first of all, I want to promote something for Ethan Hawke. Now, Ethan Hawke, it was on the podcast a couple years ago, and it was a fantastic podcast because people, I'm not taking credit for that. He's great. He's a really contemplative, interesting, wonderful guy. And uh, and he's super smart, and he's done a lot of stuff. And when you go through and you look at all the movies that Ethan Hawke has done, it's kind of mind-blowing how many standout movies he has. You're like, oh my god, yes, that, and Alive, and Dead Poets, and Gattaca, and Sinister, like, and The Purge. Like, he just, he's, <laughs> he has so many fun, great movies. And uh, so he came to do my show, Talking, the chat show on AMC that's not about Walking Dead or Saul or Preacher or anything else. It's just we're doing uh, eight episodes all summer long. They're going to air starting June 17th. And Ethan came to do the show. And there was a miscommunication on our end. So he thought he was going to do the podcast. And then he shows up and he's in a TV studio. And so, but he did it anyway. And he didn't have to. And I don't think everyone would have. And it was great. He's such a great guy. And the other reason that's a big deal is because he was coming to do what he thought was the podcast to promote a movie called First Reformed, which is in theaters now. And the TV show is not going to air <laughs> now in time to promote the movie. And he still did it anyway. So I would like to say on behalf of myself and our talking show, thank you to Ethan Hawke for doing it anyway. And then to you, go see First Reformed. Uh, which is in theaters now, and support Ethan Hawke, please. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, also, I'm going to be performing in Seattle uh, at the Neptune, uh, October 26th, and I think I'm going to do like a costume Halloween party type thing. So come in costume. Uh, tickets are on sale now. Um, if you just, uh, oh, wow, what link? You know what? I'll post it on my Twitter, at Hardwick, or uh, I'll... Yeah, or just Google it. I mean, it just the Neptune. Find the Neptune. I'm October 26. Tickets are available now, and uh, it's not a massive, massive venue, so it might tickets might go. Hopefully, they go. Otherwise, it'll just be me and like two two folks, which I'm also fine with. I'm not above that. I've done shows like that before in my past. Um, and this is from the ID10T community corkboard that doesn't relate to me in any way. So I apologize for taking up so much time talking about myself. Emily Larrabee writes, I was just a part of my first art show at Pop Comics in Anaheim. It's tribute to, to the tribute show to the movies of Steven Spielberg. So a lot of indie, a lot of Jurassic Park, but also some obscure favorites. 
There's a lot of great art and originals prints available, also located in a really great comic book store. It's open until May 30th. More details can be found at the gallery's Instagram, at Popzilla Gallery. And you can follow Emily at, at Emily Sketch and then an underscore. Um, so thanks, Emily. Thanks for uh, writing into the ID10T podcast. This episode is Maz Jobrani, who's uh, been a friend of mine for many, many, many years. We used to do open mics together, and he's become wildly successful and uh, a warm, wonderful, funny, uh, fantastic individual. He's promoting his comedy special, Immigrant, which is currently available on Netflix. Uh, so thanks to Maz Jobrani for, uh, for coming and being on the podcast. This episode brought to you by Adult Swim. Hello, there's a new show coming to Adult Swim called Joe Para Talks With You. It's a quiet show about Joe and his friends and the things in his life, like breakfast food, rocks, weddings, being wakened up by thunder, grilled chicken, pumpkins, fall drives, and more. And now here's a personal request from Joe. Please watch Joe Para Talks With You, Sunday nights at midnight on Adult Swim. Here's the ID10T podcast number 960 with my friend Maz Jobrani. Katie, please roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. We're rolling right now. We just started. Oh, so I, so I, this is, I think that's a fun great. thing Absolutely. to start on. Is Absolutely. That, uh, is that uh, poor Maz showed up and was it was in that situation where he had been on the phone with an airline customer service for like 30 minutes, literally just trying to perform a simple upgrade. What was the – I'm just curious. Like what was the – because so, this kind of efficiency stuff fascinates me. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, – first of all, for whatever reason, I love booking tickets. You do? I like. I enjoy doing it. Like I, I like it until I'm 30 minutes on hold. Then of I course. go. What's go? But I like because it's exciting. You know, we're going places, and I constantly. I have two kids. Yep. So I'm constantly trying to bring them along with my wife. Right. So there's their spring breaks coming on, uh, coming up, and so there's this somewhat little bit of like we're hopping and skipping around a little bit. So rather than going online and trying to figure it out myself, I said I'll call, and I got status. On American, so I go. You know, this is now. I'm going to like the you know platinum department. They're gonna bing it, bang, bang, boom. Right, right, right. So I called up. I said, "Listen, this is what we're doing. We're going from uh, Idaho to Chicago, Chicago to New York. Mm -hmm. Easy enough." Uh, I'm thinking of paying for two and using the kids. I realized my kids have more miles than I had known. <laughs> so I was like, I want to use these kids' miles. Those are, yeah, those are your miles. Those are my miles. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then she came back with like this really high number on the miles. And I was like, oh, wow, well, what's the price? And the price was not that much. It was like 300 bucks versus 60,000 miles. And I was right. like, 60,000 miles? That's like, you know, that's, you can go LA, New York round trip. That's worth that. more than $300. Exactly. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Let me just pay for them all. Then we started paying. And then I go, you know what? Because I, now here's the thing. I don't know. Do you what, what do you do you have status on one of these airlines? American, American. So as you know, there's the pressure every year to get a hundred thousand elite <laughs> qualifying miles. So I have been flying less recently um, because I've been working on a show in town. So um, now 
the idea is okay if I can fly if I can pay a few hundred bucks more and be in first class then you get like plus and a half or whatever it is like miles and a half or double miles or whatever exactly yeah so I asked her I go listen the the tickets are right there. <laughs> the tickets you're quoting me are like 350 bucks how much to go first class she's like a 600 I go well that's of course let's do it yeah and then she was like oh okay let me get let me <laughs> I gotta <laughs> okay I gotta divide the you know, divide the reservations now. Well, at least at least some of it was on your end of saying like, well, let's try this, let's try this, and it wasn't just like you weren't on hold for thirty minutes. No, no, no. Great. But but the idea that it takes so long to just divide a reservation to me sound because she was like, I'll be right back, and then right. she disappeared for like a few minutes. And then in your mind, you imagine like, oh, is she just going into some weird giant computerized room from the sixties? Yeah, is this like, that big IBM thing? Stick the punch card in. Exactly, because I know, for example, when I buy frozen yogurt, as soon as I leave, there's a receipt on my phone <laughs> saying, you just bought frozen yogurt. Yeah, exactly. Like, that was fast. I don't understand. There are so many things, and I've really tried to get more patient because when people come at me about stuff and they go... Well, why about this in the podcast, or why did this happen on Walking Dead, or why this, or this is probably because, and I always go, no, 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 things are so much more complicated than you think they are. Right. There, there are always, but obviously, if you don't know exactly how something works, Absolutely. it's like, you can complain about, well, I didn't like that there was turbulence on the flight, but if you don't know how to fly a plane, you can't tell the pilot, like, this is what you should have done. Absolutely. So, the process is really are interesting to me because it's a chance to really learn, like, okay, what really is involved in all this? Well, this goes into, like, we should all have a chance. If they, 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 It would be great to do more of, that, like, the undercover boss thing. Yeah. For example, let's say I'm sitting here yelling at this lady, what's wrong with you? Right. It would be great if she was like, sir, would you like to participate in our... Uh, shadow program. Yes, yes, I, I would. I go sit there one day and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I see. You, you actually have to get up and walk over there. <laughs> At least, you know, because that is, rather than just being rageful, that is seeking understanding. Absolutely. Which is something that I'm very, very, uh, very much a proponent of right now. And where, where it really happens, and you're going to know this from working in the entertainment business, is lawyers. Oh, yeah. Where you can pitch a show and the network goes, great. Oh, let's do it. And then it'll spend a year with lawyers who are like, what are you guys doing? These deals get done all the time. And like when you call, it's like, oh, they're on vacation. Like, How could they be on vacation? They were just out of town. You know? Dude, so I there just must went be through more that. To, there must be more to lawyering yes. that I understand. I, I, now, now, Chris, I wish to believe that, but I feel – because I just went through that. And part of me goes exactly what you just said. They're, uh, they're on vacation. Right. And then they're, they're going to lunch in Beverly Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're doing all this stuff. And you're going, just put me in touch with a business affairs guy. I'll, yeah. I'll close it up. Yeah. Or or a few weeks will go by, and then they'll come back to you and go, well, we're stuck on this blah, 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 blah point. Right. And you're like, well, why didn't you tell me earlier? He's like, well, that's part of the game. Like, they're playing this negotiation You game. never know whose court the ball is in. And sometimes it could just come down to like, well, they're really stuck on this point about this turning into a Broadway. We're like, I don't give a fuck about yeah. it, but when is this going to be yeah. a Broadway? Come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm sure there are lawyers listening who go, you motherfuckers. Because <laughs> so, I remember going into a, a business affairs guy's office once, and he had on his desk was just piles they were organized, but piles of documents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure it's a very meticulous process. However... 
some of this just feels like cut and paste. Like, these deals have been done before. You know I want to do this. You know you want to do this. Or it's going to be this much. Like, what's the problem? I agree with you. And I think there's always a way to look at these things, which is, like like you said, lawyers look into, well, what if you turn this into this? What, are they, what about the 50th year? What about the percentage points between the... And it's like, if he just sat down and... T- and I, I had this situation happen one time when I was... I sold a TV show... And we went back and forth, back and forth, and I felt it was it was based on my stand up, but the writers and everybody else involved was back points at the end of the, right. whatever. At, if it goes into syndication, right, my back points were less than everybody, right. And I'm going, what the hell? Why is this happening? And the lawyer, to his credit, made a good point. He goes, listen, bro, if this thing gets to syndication, you're a star. Because you're the star of the show. You'll be already well-known. You're like, right. we'll renegotiate your contract. There's this. There's that. These guys are writers. So they need to, like, they, they need, a, you know, the extra points. Just, like, can you, you know, you can capitalize off of that. And it was a moment of, like, oh, yeah, of course. If this is a hit. And if I'm at the point where I'm, like, worried about the, the co-creator. No, you're in luxury form. land. Yeah. 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 Come on. Yeah, exactly. But at least someone sat down and explained. Some of it is just the non-communication Absolutely. of well, what, what's happening. And, oh. and, and that part can really kill the process to the extent that it's a, it's a wonder to me that anything ever gets made. Uh, and so it you know to know that, hey, we're all excited about this one thing. And then a year later, you're like, whatever happened to that? Oh, well, they're still going back. How can they still be going back and forth on points? And it's with the whole business. It's the same thing. Communication is so important. I say that about like my agents as well. I go, sometimes I go, guys, if, if you're pitching me and no one's interested, let me know. Yeah, yeah. But, if, but, but what else are you doing? Like, right. I want to know. Again, I would love to undercover boss with the agents just to see my question is like in a week or a month long period how many times does my name come up because you're my agent you're supposed to be right right you're supposed to be selling me how many times does that come up or, or or in a conversation where somebody goes oh whatever this guy's making a movie let's get him in i just don't know what's going on so then i tell like i i, I have said like communicate i'd like to know right because maybe some people i think some people are like ignorance is bliss i'll just you know, just tap me when you're ready and I'll go do the thing. Right. But I'm a lot more, like I said, I like booking my own flights. Yeah. So I want to know what these people are doing. Just to know, just at least if you understand, then you can be patient when they, when it takes like, oh, okay, this takes a half hour because this has to get approved in this and then this has to change it. Okay. At least then you have the information you understand. Absolutely. But especially with agencies, someone described it to me where it's like, you know, when you if you look at your career as a company and like your manager is kind of the COO and the the agents are kind of the sales department and your and your PR team is marketing and yeah. you know it's like uh, and and so when you when you think about like well what I imagine happens particularly with agents is that I I don't believe that it is an easy job at all but all day long because they have a lot of clients. They're always putting out fires all day long, putting true, out fires, yeah. whatever fire needs to be dealt with in that moment. And so it can be very hard to step back and look at longer term stuff because yes. it's like fire, 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 fire. And then when you go to them and go, I need this done right now. Now you're a fire and you've been bumped to the you're, top of you're the thing. Right. I think you're right. And so I think they are just the vo- – because they deal in vo- – typically they deal in volume. Yeah. And so it's just about – 
whatever thing needs to get dealt with in that moment all day long every day. So I got to call and 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 report fires. Kind of. If I want attention. I got to say, of. I'm really upset. Do this, da, 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 da. And then they go do it. Kind of, yeah. I think you're right. Because I've actually, throughout my career with the different agents I've been with, there's been several times where my I'll be talking to my manager, whatever, whatever, and we go... Let's let, let's let them know we're not happy, and then they're like, "Come on in for a meeting." And you right. show up, and everyone's there. Right. I go, "What's what's your gripe? What's going on?" Well, I need more this, 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 and this. Great. Bob's going to do that. Frank's going to do this. Bill's going to do that. We're going to do it. And you leave going like, "Oh, great! We're going to do some stuff." <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. And, and sometimes people get very frustrated with agents because they're like, "Well, you're not doing anything." It's like, but sometimes you as a client need to give them stuff to do. Yeah. Like you can't just expect that they're they have a lot to focus on other yeah. than just us so you you have to be able to give them tool like they sometimes they just need like marching orders i just thought though at the same time like you said they're the sales department so i also thought that part of their job and that again goes back to i guess the the math just doesn't work like for them to go look i have 40 clients i can't i can't take on another 20 because then i won't be able to go on a weekly basis and make calls on behalf of these guys selling them. I'm the sales agent, right? They got right. a cold call a little bit. Right. Hey, uh, Mr. Spielberg, I heard you're doing a movie. <laughs> you know, uh, my client is really, here's a, I'm going to send you a clip to your, you know, whatever, right. whoever your, your, your guy is that works there. Right. Um, but I don't know how much that kind of stuff happens. Well, I also, my guess is that agents are kind of incentivized for like, like there's like a monthly bottom line. It's like, well, what business did you bring in this month? Because it is very salesy. Yeah. And so, you know, some of it, I think, not all agencies, but some agencies really do work in volume where it's like, you know, I remember when I first started and I'd see like, you know, five or 10 other dudes who looked just like me who were at the same agent. It's like, yeah. well, the agency is going to be covered because one of us is going to get it yeah. and then they're covered and then yeah. their bottom line is covered for the month. Yeah. But again, I know it's a really hard job and everything is, I think it's in general, it's just good to assume that a lot of things are more complicated than they seem and... 80% of the rules that are in place or the legal language that are in place in the world are because of 20% of the dickheads. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. th- like contracts are extra long because at some point someone got fucked over because yeah. someone pulled a fast one yeah. and someone slid through something. And so yeah. another thing got added, another thing yeah. got added. But I just think these are typically fairly standardized deals yeah. that don't necessarily need to take a year. I think what you said at the beginning was right. I think it, 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 if you're able to be a little more patient and understanding and know that these people – it's not like the lady on American Airlines was sitting there going like, can you please hold and then putting me on hold and then like playing Tetris. Right. You know, she's, <laughs> she's, she's trying to get me off the phone so she can get somebody else on, right? So she's like, let's get this guy's deal done. Let me get to the next guy. Right. And a lot of them obviously are working on – you know, they you know they say sometimes like someone's listening to their this call, and you know they're they're being they're being uh, analyzed or whatever it is. You know, uh, um, so I, I agree with you. I think that we have a tendency, especially on the phone, you have a tendency to get really pissed off at at these people that have you on hold. Yeah, you know. But I also think some of these giant companies are operating on old software because it because like the 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 process of upgrading your uh, your you know software infrastructure 
is so overwhelming that I think yes. a lot of companies are still just running off really old software. So some of it might, she might just be staring at a fucking pinwheel. She said that on the call. I <laughs> oh, go, that's I so go, funny. I go, I go, uh, I go, are you having a problem with my credit card? She goes, no, I'm just waiting for a very slow computer. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, American Airlines, slow computer? Come well, on, man. You know, these companies that have so many employees and so many computers, right. like if you update an entire division, yeah. then it fucks up everything. So, I, and I'm sure it's also terribly expensive. So I think some of it is that too yeah. of just you know it when when companies scale it there really is because i i see it a lot uh you know there's this company called first dibs and i buy a lot i buy a lot of antique furniture from them and they were great in the beginning because it was it seemed very boutique and then it seemed like they got really oh. big and then they scaled up and the customer service got trickier and there was there were more glitches and there were more and it's like it's I think learning how to scale anything is a fucking art in and of itself. How do you make something more accessible while retaining what was special about it to begin with? It's funny you say that because when, like, 20, 30 years ago, um, uh, my, my brother was, he was in high school. He got a job working at Kukuru. Remember Kukuru? Of course. So Kukuru was come great. Out. Kukuru was great. It was like, oh, it's healthy. It's relatively that healthy. Chicken head winking at you like, hey. Chicken head winking. Go ahead and eat me. It was great. And we're like looking at this place and there was like a bunch of them around town. And, and we would go in and get the breast of chicken. This is delicious. This healthy. and that. And then it goes, then it goes public. And we go, hey, we should get for his graduation gift, we'll buy him whatever, $100 or $200 or whatever it was of Kukuru stock. By the way, Lee Iacocca had just come on board, and Lee Iacocca was a former Chrysler guy. Right. He was a guru, and like, if Lee Iacocca's buying in, this thing's gonna, this thing's gonna <laughs> blow up. Well, come to find out, like you just said, it's like, I think that they grew too fast. I think they bought Boston Market or right. like Color Me Mine or some other, they started buying things right. and not being able to keep up with their own. Progress. So whereas we bought the stock for like seven dollars a pop, like within a year it was it was trading at like seventy five cents a pop. Yeah, it's very hard to to go from boutique to like um, institutional because then all of a sudden there's a lot more people, there's a lot more departments, and again, a lot of times when you find when you discover something and you like it, and someone's really passionate about it, it's still very personal. Yeah, and to scale up. There's an innate impersonality with that because they're just covering – it's like, well, they have to do – you know, they have to kind of maybe outsource customer service and then they have to do this and then they have to – then you don't get as quite as – you know, then some of the stuff they have to manufacture on more of a long tail. So yeah. they can't just make a handful of – I mean it, it is an art in and of itself and something that I think every performer, every business and everything because things are either kind of growing or decaying. So you have to decide – and this, I think, dovetails nicely into talking about you and performance and your career. But how do I keep what I'm doing special? And at what point do I want it to be more accessible? Like, what's the trade-off? Right. And right. what's the, you know... Because you, I've, just so people know, I've known you a long time. Yes. And you and I used to do open mics together. Yeah. And I always loved running into you because you're just such a nice, funny guy. And then all of a sudden... You know the axis of uh, the axis of comedy, evil, evil, evil yeah, comedy yeah, yeah, yeah. tour, bro- and like that became huge. Yeah, um, as an unfortunate response to a, yeah. a growing uh, unfortunate uh, racist trend. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but 
you know, you you kind of experienced some of this with your own work and your own life, and you've you've done such a great job. So, do, does any of that make sense or resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you say that because, uh, as as you know, like we we a, a lot of people don't similar to what we were just talking about this lady at the in customer service. We don't know what she does. A lot of people don't know what we do and how we do it. Right. So until they 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 discover you, usually they discover you when you're being successful. Right. So they go, oh, I want to do that, and then right. they go, hey, you know. I want to I want to host my own show, or I want to I want to tour around the world and do stand up, or whatever it is. And you go, well, you know, it was years and years in the clubs, and it was late and nights, bars, and, and bars, the and, back of crowded bars, oh, and getting bumped by like Eddie Griffin and uh, 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 and, and Andrew Dice Clay, and all these guys just showing up and going like, I'm going up, and you're like, but I have a day job tomorrow. Was, well, whatever, I've been here I'm for going hours, up. been here for hours. <laughs> so you know, um, all that stuff. That that happened. Then eventually, you know, after years and years, you start getting some success. Like you said, Access to Evil comes out on Comedy Central. Then some other stuff starts coming together. And um, yeah, I I have I'm at that point where you know my my growth has been such that I I feel like I need to delegate a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I also I'm, I'm I I have I like to. As I said, I like to book my own flights, but I, you know, I need to be able to say, you know what, someone else can book my flights. I mean, if Let you're focusing go. on work, or if you're at work and you're doing, then yes, you can't. You, you like you, if you have a responsibility, a creative responsibility to yes. someone that you're working for. Yes, you can't be like, I'll be in rehearsal in a second. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm booking a flight for I'm a half. Booking hour. a flight. I yeah. mean, that's, and it, part of it is like I said, I just I don't know what it is. It's like I do that even right now. I'm on a TV show. Uh, and we will, you know, during rehearsals, while if, if another scene's being rehearsed, I'm in my room taking care of th- business types of, you know, calling the plumber for the house and going like, yeah, what time can you come and blah, blah, blah. Right. As opposed to, like you said, I, you, you get to a point where you go, I got to start delegating this stuff. You have to. And it's not to be an asshole. It's just because you have responsibilities that you need to be present for. Yeah. And you you don't have the time in your day to do every every everything absolutely. And so some of that you have to be able to get off your plate. But learning how to delegate is also a, a, can be a, a challenging task, especially if you're kind of a control freak. I know, and I got to let go. Like again, I have my kids, and I've, I'm learning more and more to even let go with them because I, I I you know I'll walk around the house sometimes, and there's just junk in places where and just weird things like there's a crayon in the you know in the nook between the bed and the frame and then there's a rubber band you know just all over the place and 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 just all over the place like and so at one point i was like you know what i'm gonna look up when i walk around (laughs) therefore i won't see any of it and i will be relaxed there's a pancake on the exactly (laughs) (laughs) they're like what's that doing up there so it's it is a thing. It's about like re- relaxing, letting it go. That's a kid. That's what they do. Not trying to control everything. You right. Know what I'm saying. Uh, my wife is the same. She's even more than me. Likes to control stuff. So there is something to be learned. And when you let go, it's amazing. I was. Um, I took my my kids, my nephew, my brother. My brother is you know in his 30s, but he's a little more relaxed about stuff. I took them all for breakfast at a at a bagel place. And I'm sitting there, and it was supposed to be like a celebratory breakfast. And I'm just sitting there, I'm looking over, like one of them has cream cheese on, on, the, on the side of his <laughs> mouth. The other one's got napkins in front of him. One of them's got like his foot up. The other one, just all over. The, and I started getting more and more worked up at this. And I was like, God, the, the 
fantasy of the celebration was so much better than the actual celebration. Because <laughs> you were you were worried about all the little that, details that were not going well. Yeah, I'm trying to control the situation, and then and then I realized, and then someone I was texting back and forth with, and, and they knew that I was like going through a stressful period, and they and they just happened randomly were like, "Hey, wishing you a good day." Uh, uh, allow. Ah. It just hit me. They had they, they had no idea what I was going through, but they said allow, and I was like, you know what? Breathe in, breathe out, let it go. And then the kids were running wild on the sidewalk in Larchmont and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just gonna. What's what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, because nothing's gonna change other than how you're dealing with the situation. Absolutely. And you, it's like by the time you get home, if you didn't stress about all that stuff. It still all would have been the same, and it's Absolutely. just like how much. I've been I've been listening to a a book, an audio book now that a friend of mine recommended called uh, "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." Nice, and it's really interesting because the idea is that, and I'm only about an hour into it, but but the idea is that the more you try to, it's like life in general is going to be stressful. It doesn't matter if you have. No money, a lot of money, no kids, a lot of kids, a job, no job. There's stresses everywhere. Sort of yeah. like what we were talking about. Everything has some kind of a thing to yeah. it. Yeah. So if you just recognize that <laughs> that life is stressful and be okay with that, then it takes a lot of the pressure off. And when you say to yourself like, oh, if I only had this or if I only could make this happen – that creates a dissonance because it means you're not happy where you are. Absolutely. So it's so it's not so much a book about like never care about anyone. It's right. just about like how to really kind of prioritize what you give a fuck about. And also, by the way, when you're doing that, when you get to that thing that you think is going to make you happy, it's not going to make you happy. Like I had a friend who I remember he was an actor. He's like, one day if I win the Academy Award, I'm going to be so happy. I'm like, just get out of here. What are you th- What are you talking about? <laughs> You think you, 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 first of all, you're miserable now. Right. If you win the award, you're going to be miserable. Right. And the odds of you winning the award are, are almost zero. Right. So just find happiness in what you have right now. That person was Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. And, and, uh, no, he but, won't talk to me. And did that person ever? Did they? No, he didn't win an Academy Award. <laughs> what are you talking? About? You can't. First of all, you can't base your um, your goals and ambitions on. Things that, that 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 are controlled by external forces. Right. It's one thing to go. If I can just drop twenty pounds, I'm going to be a lot happier. All right, I'll give you that because you can actually go do that. Right. But but to say if I if I ever win a you know if I, if I become president, I'll be really happy. Right. You, you, do you understand how many things have to happen for you to get there? Yeah. I mean, I think a, a similar but probably healthier goal is you know I want to get so good at what I'm doing and I want to I want to make like. The purest form of whatever my craft is. And then, you know, then all the – because when you get result-oriented, you can be chasing trends. You can be trying to please other people. And then also, you're right. If that, if that person got that award, not only would it be satisfying for half a second – but then there'd be a crushing depression of like, why didn't this make me happier? Absolutely. And, and, and I agree with you. It's got to be things that are goal-oriented, things that you can control, right? And it's funny what you were saying, that, that, that book of The Art of not, not Giving a Fuck. I just had a moment on stage at the Laugh Factory this past weekend. I just turned 46 yesterday. Like yesterday, yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. So thanks, man. So I was on stage and I'm doing a bit about just getting older and how you get, you're, you're tired because you're running around with the kids and this and that and, and how like you just don't have anything to look forward to after 21. It kind of like there's nothing else <laughs> and all this. And I was just talking to the older crowd and I was talking to the younger people, you know. And at one point I was just like, and I honestly had a great moment of like, 
I really don't give a fuck. Like I, I'm 46. I'm ha- I figured it out. I go. Some of you guys. I go. Some of you 20 year olds are still worried. Like you wake up. You're like my hair. I got to do it gel like this, gel like that. I go. I got no hair. And it was such a relief because when it happened, when it happened, you know, I was, I, you know, I was like worried. What, what's what? How am I going to live without hair? And here I am. I'm doing all right. Yeah, you're fine. And that's the thing. When you realize. That all this other shit that you worry about just means nothing. Like the, you, you should worry about the big stuff, right? You should worry about the, your, the health of your relatives and your friends and the, all that other. Right. Stuff. Those are the like if there's real something to worry about, worry about. But the thing of like, you know, does this match that? And does this match? The, and what? And how are people going to look at me? Hey, relax. Right. You know, like I, I, I encourage a lot of people. Like, like you know, in the Iran, you know, I was born in Iran. I'm Iranian American. So in the Iranian community, nose jobs are big. Men and women. Oh, wow. And I'm like, instead of getting a nose job, go and like do some yoga and find your inner peace and be yourself. Because your nose job, is, it's a similar thing as the Academy Award. It's like an external thing. It's something that that might make you feel like, oh, I look better. But really, what's what's going on deeper down inside? Why did you have to go do that? Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it is. It's nice to be able to get to that point where you go, I don't really give a fuck. Right, right. Well, and also, you're more unique. Than trying to look like absolutely, you know, like I'll take nose number three, dude, and then oh wow, a bunch of people, ju- you know, like, I love just have that exact I've thing. always been like, I actually like when I see like like an Isabella Rossellini type whose nose is a little weirdly shaped. Yeah, you, I go, that's attractive to me. That's attractive as opposed to like that, you know, the the like they get this, they call it the ski jump nose. We're like every, <laughs> every every Persian girl has got the ski jump nose. I'm like, come on, man, you know. Or just like the little curl at the end. A little curl at the end. A little curl at the end. We, so I'm gonna, I want to talk about where, like where, like going back because I would love to find out because we didn't really, you know, I would see you at O'Brien's and I'd see you around, you know, our mutual friend Jamie Kaler, yeah. you know, who ran that show and uh, who's great. And then, um, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh wow, Maz is doing this in Axis of Evil comedy tour. So. What was sort of the development, like when you were really trying to find your comedy voice, like what was it that clicked and made you go, ah, this is a thing I'm going to go do now. This is going to be part of my voice. Well, it's interesting because a lot, you know, there's some comedians who go, I don't want to have a crutch. I don't want to lean on whatever my ethnicity or my weight or whatever it is. Now, I had always wanted to do stand up as a kid. Growing up in an immigrant family, they were like, no, you can be a lawyer or a doctor. I, I went to uh, Cal, I got a degree in political science, and then I thought maybe I'll be a professor. So then I went to UCLA to get a PhD in poli sci, dropped out. And then I was working at an ad agency just doing plays on the side. I love being on stage. And I was in my mid-20s. There was this guy, his name was Joe Ryan. He was older. He worked at the ad agency. And he saw me doing a play. He goes, hey, you got pretty good comedic timing. Have you ever thought about doing this? And I said, yeah, I have. And he goes... Listen, he goes, he goes, I'm in my 60s now. He goes, when I was in my 20s, there were some things I wanted to do. I never got around to doing it. He goes, if you really want to do it, do it. So, oh, ghost of Christmas future. Exactly. He was. Exactly. I never thought of that. You're right. And so I was 26 at the time, and I, and I enrolled in Acme uh, uh, yeah. sketch classes. Yep. And then there I met Judy Carter, who taught stand-up comedy classes. Yep. So let me take the stand-up comedy class. So as soon as I got into Judy Carter's class, th- one of the things they were teaching you was you know complete a sentence that that shows that you're unique so like like with beginning with like it's hard when or it's crazy when have an opinion about something right but end it like you know it's crazy being you know whatever a lesbian uh asian lesbian growing up in new mexico whatever it is right. like get that specific so right. for me it was like 
it's hard growing up Iranian in America. Right. And then it was like, now go out and say why. So you come up with all these jokes about why it was, right? One of my early jokes was like, it was stupid stuff, but it was like, it's hard growing up Iranian in America when you, because uh, when the, your parents call the other, other parents to have them see if their kid can spend the night, they're worried you might kidnap the you hijack the, you know, <laughs> take them hostage. You know, that, that, of stupid, course. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but that started the whole thing. And, and eventually, you know, when the Axis of Evil thing came about, Mitzi Shore, who's the owner of the comedy store, for those people who are listening who don't know it, uh, Polly Shore's mother, she, in the year 2000, um, she's Jewish. She loved to watch the news. And in 2000, she saw there was an uprising, the Palestinians uprising against the Israelis, um, uh, against Jews in Israel. Uh, and so she said, this is in 2000, she goes, I feel like there's going to be a need for a positive voice for Middle Easterners and Muslims in the very near future. Oh, wow. This is before September 11th. Talk about ghosts of the Christmas future or whatever. Um, So Mitzi put us together and she found, uh, you know, Ahmed Ahmed, Aaron Cater, myself. And at the point when we first started, she called it the Arabian Nights. Uh uh, And she put anybody who was brown that wasn't Mexican or African-American, they were in our show. So Sam Tripoli is half Armenian. He was in the show. Uh, There was a few girls who were white girls that knew how to belly dance. She put them in the show. So she would put put up these shows like every six months or so and call Arabian Nights show. So we started doing that. And eventually we realized, this is right around the time, you know, during the Bush administration after September 11th, we realized that there's an audience that wants to hear our voice. Mm -hmm. Definitely Middle Easterners in America wanted to hear us because they they felt like, you know, there's nobody representing that voice. Right. And then there was a lot of liberal people that were like, what's going on here? So we started getting all this press. You know, we were in in the New York Times. We were in Playboy. We were in Hustler. Uh I mean, all over the place. I was like, you know how, how bad some dude, like some soldier who's like... You know, masturbating a hustler is like, you know, flipping the pages and sees like, Axis of Evil? Like, who are these guys? Why are they in my thing? So, anyway, it was amazing. We got all this press. And then we went to the Middle East and realized we were rock stars over there. Because, again, no one had, no American comedians had gone to the Middle East to do shows for the people of the Middle East. It was always like, you know, it was always like shows for the troops. Right. So we got a call from some guys out of Jordan who were like, we would like for you to come do shows in Jordan. And we didn't know at all. We're like, well, bro, our show's in English. He's like, yeah, I'm speaking English to you right now, you idiot. (laughs) So we're like, oh, you guys speak English. And we realized quickly the rest of the world knows a lot more about us than we know about the rest of the world. Right. So we went to to, to Jordan. The king of Jordan came to our show. Jesus. It was crazy, dude. It was was amazing. And so we did like uh, this this five-country tour out there. And just things started to grow from there. And as you know, right around then was also when YouTube was starting to take off. This is 2007. So, and this is before Facebook had really come out. So back then, I don't know if you remember, like people would send a clip from YouTube to their email list. So you would get an email with like 50 different people's email addresses mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. And there'd be a link to, to the YouTube link. And I, I kept seeing my link being passed around from other people going, this guy's funny, this guy's funny. I was like, oh, my God, people are discovering me. So that all kind of worked together. Um, and and we and we went from there. And then and actually the, we toured as the Axis of Evil kind of on and off from 05, 06, 07 it hit. And then 07 there was also like conflict going on behind closed doors it was very like rock bandy right you know people fighting and stuff like on stage we're telling jokes but off stage it's like stop fighting right and so we had to break it up oh man yeah Yeah. did you did you encounter any like you know protesters or like any kind of weird 
hey, this is America. You yeah. need to go back. Like, was there any of that well, stuff? Well, a couple, a couple. One was when we were still doing the Arabian Nights. So Mitzi, when September 11th happened, Mitzi was actually worried about us. Like, she, it was, you know, the, you know, the clubs never close. The, even Christmas Day, a lot of times these clubs have shows. Um, so September 11th was on a Tuesday. They shut it down. They shut the club down for a few days. And I think they went back into doing shows maybe by Friday or Thursday of that week. Um, Mitzi didn't want to put any of us, me, Ahmed, or Aaron, any of us on stage. Because, you know, we'd go on stage and be like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm Marisa from Iran, blah, 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 blah. And so she was worried, I think. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, she started putting us back on. Um, she certainly didn't want to do any shows under the moniker of uh, the Arabian Nights. Just so no one would show up and just exactly. torch the place. So yeah. what happened was, though, maybe, I don't, I don't know if it was six months or a year after or something like that. Because she used to send us down to the La Jolla Club every six months or so as the Arabian Nights. Mm-hmm. So whatever that timeline was after September 11th, I think, first of all, she realized that we, our voice, again, was important in this time because originally I remember when September 11th happened, I, was, I became patriotic to the point where I was like, go Bush, you know? <laughs> and then quickly I was like, wait a minute, why are they going to Iraq? The, the Iraq didn't do anything. It was the, the Al-Qaeda. And then I was, wait, wait a minute, these guys are dirty as before. And so... Really, I, I realized, oh, I got to criticize what's going on here. Right. Um, and so I think Mitzi realized that our voices needed to be out there. So she put us on an Arabian night show down in La Jolla six months or a year after September 11th. And they put that on the marquee. And one day we're getting ready to go. I think it was like a Friday, Saturday. I don't know what day. You know, you go for the weekend, get a call from the manager going, guys, we just got a call from somebody saying that they're going to come down and like kill you. Oh, Jesus Christ. Arabian nights. They're going to, you know, they threaten your lives. And they go, we don't know if it's legit or not. And this is like, you know, down there, there's Camp Pendleton. Right. And there's some crazy mofos out there, right? So they go, we don't know if it's real or not. And we don't know, should we cancel the show, do it? And we go, you know what? We don't, we don't feel like it's, I, I think it's just somebody trying to scare us. Let's do the show. And we did the show and it went great. And oh. nobody came. Yeah. It was, I mean, because listen, by the way, you really have to be like, because first of all, we had, we, when we were doing those shows, there was Marines, because a lot of these Marines that go to the Middle East, they see really what's going on on the ground. Mm-hmm. And they realize like, oh, wow, like whatever. A lot of these people are just trying to live their lives. We're, we're, now, we're now basically uh, uh, building a, a new country. Like we, we've, we've gone in, like was it our business to go in, right? I don't know. And so a lot of these guys, like we would do shows in La Jolla and we would have Marines come up afterwards and go, I really appreciate what you're doing, man. Like, you're, like I understand what you're talking oh, about. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so they were on our side. Um, and so... We felt like, you know, it wasn't like any of us were up there going like, fuck America, America. So, you know, it was like a lot of it was like, we love America. We're American. But what's going on doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. I mean, I remember um, I, I, I individually on stage had been heckled up here even where, uh, you know, leading up to the war, you would do Bush jokes. People would laugh. But on the eve of the war, I think Cheney or somebody, I don't know who, uh, who uh, um, t- coined this term, but... They would say, if you, if you criticize the troops, you're criticizing... I'm sorry, if you criticize the war, you're criticizing the troops. Mm-hmm. So they sold that. So I remember even in Hollywood, liberal Hollywood, at the, I was at the improv, and, and people have been laughing at the jokes, laughing at the and then like, literally like a day or two before we attacked Iraq, I was doing the same Bush jokes, and I could feel people tense about laughing. Right. And I had to add a line then going into that joke where I said, listen, I just want you to know... like." If I'm criticizing the war, I'm not criticizing the troops. I said, I'm pretty sure no one's going around going like, you know what? Uh, I love the administration. It's those damn troops that are pissing me off. Right, right, right. right? Or even, um, uh, what's his name? Um, 
um, what's the guy, the dirty comedian, uh, um, on the road all the time, uh, drinks a lot. Oh, Doug Stanhope? Doug Stanhope. He did it. I remember seeing him do a bit about like how it was to support the troops, support the troops. And he was like, well, some of the troops are assholes. He's like, I'm not going to support all the troops. And I was like, he could actually get away with that. Like I could, as an Iranian American, if I were saying that, some American would be like, you know, go back to your fucking country. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. So I did. I had people yelling at me sometimes. I had one girl in the front when I was making fun of Bush during the war. One girl was in the front row of the original room. And she's like, you can't make fun of our commander in chief. And she's like, I'm in the military. You can't make fun of our... And I go, yo. I go, that's the whole point of this country. I go, we're, we're, we're saying we're going into Iraq because we want to bring democracy to them. And now you're telling me I can't well, make that, fun? That's what's really dangerous. And then, you you know, like, th- there have been a couple of things that happened where, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I don't know. It's something about, uh, you know, Trump said if when he comes in the room, if you don't stand up or whatever, then you... Then that's anti-American. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's fascism. That's not, like, American is you sh- you know like the founding fathers were like hey every 19 years you should probably scrap this thing and start over again yeah. and don't let don't you know don't let any one person like you should be able to speak out Absolutely. that's what's so great about you yes. know so it's it's very dangerous because of course you love the country and of course you know you love the troops and of course you love it you know but to say like you have to say this or you're not like whoa 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 I don't know if that's really quite american like legitimately american ideas Absolutely he was calling the democrats treasonous for not clapping at, at his State of the Union speech because they weren't standing and clapping. He said that he was he was at some speech after the right after that. He goes, yeah, let's call it treasonous. He goes, let's just call it treasonous. First of all, that dude doesn't understand that your words have meaning. Of course, you you, you can't. You're not some even DJ. if he's making a joke. Even, even if it's like an offhanded joke, like that affects the economy. Absolutely, <laughs> you're not Rush Limbaugh. You can't just be like, yeah, folks. You know, these people, these liberals are really trying to. Yeah. You can't. You're not Alex Jones. You are now the president. So stick to the fucking script. All right. Because every time he leaves that script, the other day he's talking about, yeah, I think if I were uh, in Florida, I, I probably would have gone in the building without a gun. Right. It's like, really? Are you? I, I, I was like, I can't believe, like, I, I wish there were, I wish every governor would have just, like, had water in their mouth and just spit it's it out. Like a giant <laughs> spit take. a giant spit take. Yeah, but I think we just, you know, we just have to be really careful that it's, that, you know, that it, you, 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 it's dangerous to get into, like, don't ever question anything and you just better love this or you don't like this country. It's like that kind of nationalism is a little creepy because we should be able to, you know, and also, but I will say we should be also be able to have conversations about things and you should be able to talk to someone that you don't a hundred percent agree with without going, you should fucking die in a fire. If you don't, it's like we, we've really kind of because social media does not, foster conversations and it really supports yelling yeah we are kind of losing the ability to compromise and understand and try to have conversations and it's it's a real bummer because it's you know if we keep going down that path of like my way or fuck off and die then it's we're not going to Get, get anywhere. Well, I was saying during the elections, I said that I feel like, you know, again, I left Iran. And I mean that on both sides, by the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. No, yeah. I, I agree. Listen, I've, I've, I've been yelled at from the left for things that I, an opinion that I stated that I thought was misconstrued. And, and then I just got attacked on Twitter. And I'm like, and I had to go back and listen to the podcast that I was on that, that got me yeah. yelled at. And I was like, no, I honestly, like, they're, they, like they're, you know, they're just coming at me for to come at me. I was like, I felt like they had nothing better to do. Well, there's a difference between 
coming at someone with a fair criticism and saying, hey, I didn't understand this or I don't agree with this versus... I'm angry and I want you to feel bad. It's your fault that I'm angry. Like, first yeah. of all, it's not anyone's fault that you're angry. Yeah. Because, again, just like what you talked about when your kids are going nuts, it's like you have a choice to be upset about that or you have the choice to be zen about that. You have the choice to say something or not say something. You really do affect how things – it's like no one can technically make – unless they shoot you, yeah. no one can technically make you feel anything. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're upset about something – Hey, just say, you know, I feel weird about this. Can we, you know, if your goal is, can we resolve this in some way? Yes. Even if we walk away and go, yeah. I'm shaking your hand. We do not agree on this. We can leave with dignity and respect and go to our own opinion sides. Yes, yes. And I've had, I've had people reach out to me on, online and go, hey, that thing that you posted, I'm a fan, but I really didn't understand or I didn't appreciate blah, blah, blah. And I appreciate them coming at me like that. Right. I go, okay, hey, okay, great. As opposed to like you just said, someone going like, I can't believe you support X, Y, and Z. Never count on me to ever be. And I'm like, you don't, you don't understand what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> you know? And the thing with, with, with what I was saying about, about what you said about the danger of some of the stuff that I feel has been pushed from the Trump side is – it reminds me of, you know, I left Iran uh, late 78 mm-hmm. as the revolution was happening. And then when Khomeini took over, uh, they, they had promised, you know, because the Shah of Iran uh, had modernized the country. Um, but a lot of the wealthy were getting wealthier under him and people that were poor weren't getting as much. And so he was, end of the day, he was a dictator. So even though he'd done some good stuff... He did have a secret police. He did have people that would criticize him and disappear. So there was a lot of stuff that people had to complain about. But some of the promises that were made under Khomeini were, hey, once we get rid of this guy, we're going to kick out the West and everyone's going to basically share in the wealth and it's going to be a utopia and there's going to be all this great stuff. Well, they took over and then they started kind of a reign of terror. They started executing anybody who had been a general under the Shah. They started, you know, uh, 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 there was laws suddenly that women had to wear the veil and, you know, and and it became a lot darker and a lot. And so the promises that they'd made were then countered with this this reign of terror in a way. And so seeing, I was watching the elections, I was like, wow, it's amazing to see because the people that, that followed Khomeini were like, yeah, 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 you know, so... Seeing that, it reminded me a little bit of Trump in the campaign where he'd be like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're gonna do that. everyone's going to be rich, everyone's going to be, yeah, everything's going to be great. And then as you said, when you come in and you go, shut the press up. Press can't say anything the press says about me. It's fake. It's fake. Right. Shut it up. Right. And you go, whoa, that's not, that's not a free press. <laughs> you know. And, and, and also, by the way, countries like Iran still, like people are jailed because of things that they say in the press. And he's sitting here going like, you know, uh, we should be able to go after the press for any kind of libel that they might. I feel it's libel, right? And so there's a lot of things that he says that I go, dude, you know, that is not American. That is not what the values of this country are. I think I really, really believe that we should be able to criticize each other. It should be open, and we should be able to eventually get to the truth if we yeah. can have these discussions. And also the thing about criticizing the president—that's the whole point of this country. <laughs> so when the correspondence dinner happens, go there and smile. Right. Don't avoid it because you know they're going to come at you. Or maybe, you know, don't say some of the jackassy stuff that's going to leave you so wide open for it. Well, I just think, you know, when you go after someone, it's, you know, try to stop and say, okay, 
Am I doing this because I want things to get better, because I want to understand, because I want to compromise, or am I doing this just because I want to destroy someone and I want them to feel bad? Right. Those are two slightly different things. And, you know, if you want to just go after someone to destroy them, then that's totally your prerogative. But just know that, you know, it may not get the result that you that you want. And if someone comes back at you, then you can't be like, whoa, I mean, I'm not allowed to. Like, yeah, other people are allowed to respond the same way that you you are. They can criticize your criticism. And so it just, again, it's just about conversations. But I can, I can only imagine that... Uh, that you've had to develop a thicker skin about stuff. Absolutely. And what's interesting to me is, especially with the, with the Trump uh, stuff, was throughout the elections, uh, as he would say, you know, uh, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric, he would, he would, you know, spout that, I would, you know, I would try to criticize it in a funny way on the stage. And it was interesting to me because a lot of, suddenly I realized there's a lot of immigrants that support him. Right. So I would run into, so I thought like, oh, rednecks are going to come after me. I've had a lot more Iranians come up to me afterwards and be like, why are you making fun of uh, Donald Trump? Why are you not making fun of uh, Islamic Republic of Iran? Oh, wow. And I'm like, uh, bro, first of all, I go, I barely know who's running the Islamic Republic of Iran. Second, I go, my audience for sure doesn't know. It's not the hot topic. Like when Ahmadinejad, the former president who would, he would say there's no gays in Iran and he was like, the Holocaust ever happened. That guy was verbal during the Bush administration, right. he was easy to make fun of because he was in the news all the time. Right. If I went on stage and was like, did you guys hear what Abdul Qassam Ghosseini, the <laughs> interior minister of Iran, said? People would be like, what? <laughs> right? So off the bat, I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? By the way, just... So you know that is really funny. You should, I just, should. you should just do it. Yeah, just as a you know, like, and that should be the setup for the bit. You know, you're right. I'm not being fair. I should also, yeah. and then just go really granular <laughs> and just, yeah, exactly just and yeah. just you know yeah. purposely yeah. lose yeah. people. I think it'd be kind of funny. The transportation Authority of Tehran just said there's no parking between the hours. Who's of with me? Am I right? Am I right? So I get that, and I think part of it is I've I've come to realize there's a couple things. First of all. A lot of immigrants are a lot more conservative than people people imagine. Like so, whereas I'm an immigrant who goes, I'm gonna, I, I I feel like as a kid when I came here, the hostage crisis happened. I was picked on, so I'm on everybody's side. Like I'm gonna fight for uh, the immigrants and women and gays and LGBTQ and every. I'm like everybody, like anyone who's getting picked on, I'm with you. Right. Um. And uh, but I feel a lot of immigrants come over here. They're conservative. They're like, I got in legally. Or whatever the way was. By the way, what is legal? I don't know. I came in. My passport, I looked at it, my, my ch- ch- uh, childhood passport. Yeah. We didn't know we were going to stay. Like it, the condition in Iran got worse. We came on a two-week break on my winter break. So it said not to exceed X amount of weeks or something, my visa. Oh, wow. And my dad had to then be like, oh, no, political asylum, blah, blah, blah. And then we stayed. So some of these people that are coming over, it's like, you know, what what how, what defines the legal Terminology and they're not all MS thirteen like Donnie keeps saying, and um, and so again I think some immigrants come over and they go no I came this way and those people should go wait in line and whatever whatever and by the way these a lot of these immigrants like the Iranians or whoever that come up and criticize me for criticizing Trump they're the ones who might like if I go what do you think of gay rights ah uh, you know gay, marriage should be between men and women uh. okay well what do you think about abortion I don't think that it okay so you go wait a minute he's just very conservative so you right. have more in common with Trump supporters and you are a Trump supporter right um, and so I've had people come up to me and talk to me about that and now I've gotten to a point where 
I will work that into my stand-up. I like when I get to the point where I'm like, I don't like this guy. I'm just there's a visceral thing that's happening, and I'm not sure if he reminds me of my father. I loved my father, but my father was also a businessman. He also was like a larger-than-life character who thought he was the best at everything, mm-hmm. uh, and he was really good at a lot of stuff. But I wonder if, and he was actually politically speaking, probably more conservative than I was. So I, I wonder. I was actually, I just started seeing a therapist. I was like. Is is Trump my dad? Am I going after Holy him because he's my dad? And is, what did they say? And she was like, you know, a little bit, because you know, because I was I was telling her how my father would sometimes get angry and like act out, like in the in the family, and and he goes and she goes, yeah, in a way, she goes, he gets angry, and he tweets at the world, like he gets he yells at the world, right? And I go, yes, and 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 some of the things where it was like, again, my father, it's not like we had a lot of political conversations. But I know that he was just more conservative, and I feel like sometimes I feel like this guy, I I don't know. There's a like I you know the Iranian the one of the early Iranian religions is called Zoroastrianism. Right, right, right. Yes, and and their ten, tenets are good words, good thoughts, good deeds. If you live by those three, you're good to go. So I've always been somebody who like when people are gossiping about someone, I'm like, I just don't like to talk badly about people. Right, good words, good thoughts, good deeds. This is the first person I think in my life that I've wanted to see like let out in handcuffs. <laughs> like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, because, because just, and then sometimes I forget, like what we were talking about earlier. It's like, how can I not give a fuck and just move on? And like, how, really, like, am I going to be that invested in every tweet? So I go, you know what? I'm going to stay away. But now his tweets are in the news. So if I'm reading the news, his tweets show up. So it's just like this, th- and then I just get so I'm like, what the? And then I'm like, oh, come up with a witty tweet so you can just tweet out it. And I tweet the other day. I tweeted, you know, this thing about arming teachers in school. Like he said something like that. It really is a good thing, or whatever. I just tweeted at him. I go, you're an idiot, and it felt so good. <laughs> I swear to God. But that's what he does. That's what he does, and I did it right back at him. You and did I good. I did. I felt really good. So you. So the question is, can you? You know, because obviously, the great thing for you is that. You're a comedian. And so you you can get a lot of this stuff out on stage in very creative ways, you know. And so, you know, I would just I would just say I would just caution you about slipping down the dark side path. Yes. Because I because it does feel good, but it's all that's all the ego stuff. Yeah. That, and it, and the ego stuff can lead to a, a bad place where you're just consumed by like Fuck you! Fuck everyone! Fuck yeah. this! And then, and then it just bleeds into your life and your family. It's in a toxic sludge. Well, as you said, as a comedian, the hope is it's. I mean, you know, I just started seeing a therapist for the first time, and part of why I'm seeing her is also because I I do want to go delve deeper and deeper. Because as comedians, you know, we want to find. It's like how can I find that? How can I tap into that thing that will then re, lead into this really cool piece that I want to do, right? Mm-hmm. So exactly what you just said. I've been on stage before and done some bits about him and then felt really frustrated and just said a couple of things in hopes that that triggers a funny analogy of well, some sort. Well, that thing about about your dad, there's there's a fucking there's an ore vein in there yes. somewhere to yes. play with. Yes. Because it I mean that's so personal and yeah. it's also you know, it's authentic and it's real. Yeah. So as opposed to just you know, taking shots at the in, in a way yes. like that's a way where you can create real, authentic, personal, emotional commentary that's funny because it's it 
totally specific to you. Absolutely. And it says who you are without taking the most obvious shots, but still allows you the freedom to comment because you're really commenting about your dad, too, which is amazing. That's such an amazing take. Yeah, that's actually what I've been trying to do because exactly what you just said, like, Colbert does a great job every night of t- picking the thing, the you know, picking it all apart. He's got a team of writers. He's brilliant at what he does. And so I'm not going to try and replicate that and go, oh, everything that Trump does, I'm going to go back and, and go right. after. Exactly what he just said. I want to find that in with my father's situation. Or the other one I used to do, and I've tried to bring it back now, is I had this theory. I, I was doing a bit before where I was like, I was like, I can't wait to be 70. And, and, and the idea was, I go, in your 20s, you don't care. You don't know what's going on. Da, 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 you don't care. 30s, like, you're just starting to make some money. You're having a good time, blah, 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 blah. 40s, now you're, like, you know, you're, you're, in, the, you're in the PTA. You mm-hmm. know, you're an upstanding citizen. you got a mortgage. 50s, you got to make sure your kids get through college, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I think it's 70 when you just start, stop giving a fuck. And I, and I had this whole <laughs> thing of like Brando doing the, uh, um, the uh, uh, Larry King interview uh, where he brought him cookies. You remember that? YouTube it. It's the funniest thing okay. in the world. It's just Larry King asking Brando about his life. And Brando was like towards the end of his life. And he's like, Larry, I bought you some cookies. Have a cookie. <laughs> the whole Rich, thing. Richard Pryor gave me this cookie. <laughs> Richard Pryor gave me this cookie. We made love. So I must <laughs> forget to say we made love. <laughs> we made love. Quincy Jones is going to tell you about it in 30 years. <laughs> uh, Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. Let's go to the phones. <laughs> so that was him. Then there was, this was the bit was about him. And this is actually... Uh, was spurred by when Donald Sterling, the former owner of the Clippers, came out and made those racist oh, comments. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I remember he went on CNN. Anderson Cooper brought him on CNN. He's like, we have Donald Sterling. He's here to apologize about the comments. And Donald Sterling goes, Anderson, I would like to. But before I apologize, I got a question. Magic Johnson, he's black. He's got AIDS. What's up? Something, something along those lines. So the bit I was like, oh my I go, he came up to apologize. He goes about his racist comments. He just made some more racist comments. Some people can't get out of their own way, though. Yeah, but, I, but my, my concept there was like, I, I said, like, old rich dudes don't give a fuck and I said also old dudes just don't give and then there was Silvio around the same time all this was happening Silvio Berlusconi who was the former prime minister of Italy had been caught with a 17 year old prostitute and they asked him about it he's like yeah 17 18 whatever like he didn't get and I go because you know in your mind that you're dying soon right you're towards the end you got all this money you just say crazy shit well and also listen from an evolutionary standpoint you know that by that point in your life you're like I don't need to spread my genes anymore like i'm i'm already this is it you know because i I think in your 20s obviously in your teens and your 20s you care too too much because you you just want to figure out your place and you want people to like you and you need to fit in and you gotta and then and then as you but as you start to get older like my dad who was you know a great guy i think pretty stressy for most of his life but he he died when he was 72 but he was like the happiest he'd ever been i have have another friend who's 80 he's like the happiest he's ever been yes and and there is i think that kind of like yeah, all that, you know, every every time I stressed about my kids running down the sidewalk didn't amount to anything other than wasted energy and stomach pains. Yeah. And who fucking ha- I don't now I literally don't have time for that anymore. Don't have time for it. And that's so that's that was part of the bit was now with Trump who's 71, 72 whatever it is, I feel like he's this rich old dude who's like what, what's anyone going to do to me? I mean, obviously, Mueller's going after But, like, other than that, with his tweets, he's like, whatever. Let people say shit at me. Right. I'm going to say some crazy shit right now. I'm about to say in front of these governors that if I'd been in Florida, I would have run in there without a gun. Right. What's anyone going to do? Right. Got, what are they going to say? Right. And, I'll get, and I got that girl at the White House who's going to spin this shit. 
and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and make it sound even better. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're old and not the president, you don't give a fuck. Exactly. That's the line right there. But if you're old and one of the most powerful people in the world, that's kind of dangerous. Dropping bombs left and right. (laughs) But I'm curious to know, um, how old are your kids? Nine and seven. Nine and seven. So, uh, and what is your wife's ethnicity? She was uh, born in India and grew up in America since she was six months old. Okay, so how are you explaining to your kids, or do you have to explain to your kids, like trying to help them with their identity in a in what is a potentially volatile world, especially social media, if they as they start to get to that age where yeah. you know people can be vicious, you know, and, and racist because they don't have to be accountable for anything they say. So, you know, your, your kids are American, but they obviously have other cultural roots. So how yeah. are you, how do you share with them, like, what their identity is? Well, I think it's very important. The cultural stuff is very important. I wish I could go, like, because I've made, uh, because I have done jokes about leadership in Iran, yeah. I don't think I can go back to Iran. Right. I think they throw me in jail. So I, I, I can't take my kids there. We travel a lot with them. I really want to take them to India. We've been, you know, from Mexico to Canada to the Middle East to Europe. We've been all over the place with them. And so I love having them see that stuff. I want my kids to be very world, worldly-minded. Because once you, like, I didn't, you know, I came from Iran to America and was, you know, traveled throughout America a little bit. But it wasn't until I was in college when I studied a year abroad in Italy and it opened my eyes. I was like, oh, my God, there's so many other perspectives to this world and so I think that's important. And so the same thing goes here. I really want them to be multicultural. I want them to be proud of their cultural background. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, when I say, I, I always say, like, people go, are you proud to be Iranian? you proud to be American? I go, I'm, you know, I, I like those things. But I also, I fear the word proud leads you towards that blind patriotism, like, yeah, I'm proud to be American, therefore America's always right. I'm like, no, there's a lot of problems with America. There's a lot of problems with Iranians. There's a lot of problems with all the, all these things. So the same thing with my kids. I try to be as as objective as I can. Even when Trump won, for example, my daughter, because they'd seen it in the news. You could, they couldn't avoid it. And she, you know, all the um, uh, anti-immigrant stuff and the and the racist stuff that had been said throughout in different different speeches she picked up from here and there and then so actually when trump won she was six at the time she goes am i going to be deported oh my god yeah fucking horrible yeah can you believe that and i was like oh that's heartbreaking yeah and it made me kind of laugh i was like no baby you're american citizen you're gonna be deported you're not gonna be deported and uh and um what i joke in my stand-up i go you're not gonna be deported but cousin majid he's gotta go (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) but but the thing is though that uh, I told them actually after after the elections, I said, guys, we have to give this guy a chance. I go, this is how democracy works. I go, we voted, you know, there was a vote and he won. So I said, he's now the president. So you guys got to try and, you know, let's listen. Let's see what he says and does. And I said, we are lucky that we get to choose our leaders every four years. Whereas other countries, you know, either there's, uh, you know, uh, every 30 years, one guy kills another guy and he becomes a leader. Right. Or or there's people fleeing Syria. So I tried to, you know, instill that it's in a very them. healthy. It's a very healthy attitude. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to make them be proud but also open about it all. And, and like our neighbor, for example, the father's uh, a black guy. Uh, wife is a uh, white lady. Uh, both their kids are good friends with our kids. They're growing up around a multi, around a lot of multi ethnicity, and I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, well, and it, you know, it 
it does come down to just sort of normalizing stuff for kids. And, yeah. and, and they will not, you know, and hopefully this new generation will not see a lot of those things, like a lot of cultural and color lines. And it's like, oh, we're all just kids. We're all just people. We're all just humans. Absolutely. Everyone has a story. But it, but, but it does, and it's kind of interesting where we started this conversation about trying to understand and trying to see there's always more complexity. And then it just weirdly sort of lands in this idea of like, yeah, it's not just as simple as like, this person should be in that person. Should be like really trying to understand who we are as individuals and, and, and who we are as humans and, and take the time to try to d- get to know things and people and stories. Absolutely. One of my favorite things as an Iranian-American, because I grew up, you know, a lot of immigrants want their kids, like I said, to be lawyers, doctors, all that stuff. So growing up, I would see these guys, they're lawyer, they're doctor, they're engineer, whatever. So one of my favorite things is when I run into other immigrant kids, especially of Iranian background, that are DJs or painters mm-hmm. or, like you said, don't fit the stereotype of what we expected. And I want I want the rest of the world to see that. Like there was a guy, the Iranian community is very proud of him. There's a guy who was um, used to work at uh, uh, JPL, the 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 you know the the space laboratory over there in, yeah. in Pasadena. He was like one of the high up guys. His name's Firuz Naderi. And so Iranians would always send like links to each other, like, oh here's an article about him. You know, they're really excited about that. Because it's like, oh wow, we are scientists. We are we are uh, whatever. Uh, actually, the, the new CEO of uh, Uber is an Iranian-American. Uh-huh. Yeah? So people get excited about that stuff. And I want people to see, and not just Iranians, but every other background and, and men and women. Like, it, I get excited when I see that. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you see somebody doing something, they go, oh, wow, you're, you know, I don't know. I, one, of the, one of the teachers at, our, at our, my kid's school uh, was on the Canadian national soccer team, this female. Uh, she was on the women's soccer team. I was excited about that. I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool. How inspirational. I'm like, talk to her. my son, play soccer. I'm like, learn from her, you know? Yeah. So I just love that kind of stuff. And like you said, each individual. Like, so, yeah, we're, we're so quick to be like, oh, you must be on that side because you fit this thing, you know? Well, and, and some of it is just, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is just sort of is just lazy thinking because it it just takes it takes a lot of time and energy to get to know each individual story and so people tend to just I think their brains just go no all this is that and all that's that yeah I, that's I'm done yeah you know because they just don't really want to take the time to you know take a risk that they might learn something that maybe challenges what they believe about something because it takes you know it takes work to go. I believed this thing and I have to change that now. Yeah. That takes work to, cause you know, you have to sort of alter your emotional molecules to do that. But it's, but I do believe that it is 100% worth the exercise. And it doesn't mean that you have to like everyone, but at least, you know, put in the time to try, to try to talk, to try to understand, try, try to, to understand. Conversations. There you go. So what is, so what your new, you have a new special on Netflix. My new special on Netflix is called Immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two What's older it about? ones. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's about uh, <laughs> this guy who's been here his whole life. Um, no, so it's called Immigrant, uh, and uh, and I've got two older ones on there as well. One's called I'm Not a Terrorist, but I've played one on TV. Yep. And the other one's called Brown and Friendly. Right. So that's what's going on there. And then I've got the TV show, uh, which is Superior Donuts. Yep, on CBS. Superior Donuts. 
Uh, and uh, and that's it. Other than that, just you know, run around doing doing, trying to be with the kids. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's man. really nice. I mean, if you're on a uh, what's your what's your sitcom schedule? Sitcom schedule is we shoot uh, we pre shoot Mondays. Yeah. Uh, we tape on Tuesdays in front of a live audience, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is rehearsal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get to be you know my son. Like I said, he plays soccer, so I get to go you know drive him around and do that stuff. My daughter. Uh, you know, she's got tennis and, you know, just they're, they're just fun, man. They're young. Because I, I heard Mark McGuire uh, in an interview say one time, he said, when I was in my first marriage, I was so obsessed with my career. I missed my kid's childhood. And yeah. I was in a second marriage. And he goes, I'm really trying to be around my kids. So that really was a thing for me where I was like, I got I to gotta make sure I'm around them while they still want to be around me. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. At least, yeah. Hey, you know, by about 13, they'll be like... Yeah, sit down, sit down, sit down. Go on the road, Dad. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, do you want me to? Nope. Yep. Yeah. Can I drop you off? Please don't. No. I'll just Uber. Yeah. Oh fuck! Really? Yeah. 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 Uber's run by uh, by a Persian guy now. It's fine. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. 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 That's funny. But I do think that uh, because we are so conditioned as young performers to like go go go, got to make this happen, got to make this happen, it is very hard to. Take a step back and go. Oh, you know, uh, it's okay sometimes yeah. to not. Uh... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I, and you know, like you said, I, I I I had I still preach like get out get on stage as much as you can and write as much as you can for stand up. But I have now learned to have like some nights I go. You know what? I know it's a Thursday, or Friday, or Saturday. I'm not going to go out because I want to be home and help put the kids to sleep. Yeah. You know. And by the way, my wife too. You know, it's good for her to see me too, <laughs> or me to see her. I know. I've been really lazy about performing around town. I've been performing on the road, but when I'm around town, you know, I get these great, you know, like the comedy store shoot me in. They go, Hey, we got you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm like, Ah. Oh. You know, I'm working all day. I think I'm just gonna this weekend. I'm just gonna stay home with my wife because yeah. I just like yeah, it's like being at home. But it's then nice. I but then I also know like eh. But if you know if you don't keep greasing the wheels, I that stand up thing, it's it's one of those things where if you don't do it, yeah, it does not stick around. Like you have to do it all the time. It's like the gym. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's exactly absolutely. like the gym. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't you know you can't be uh, like bench pressing 300 pounds and then stop for a year and be like. I'm going to go bench for it. You're yeah. like, oh my God, my shoulders popped out of the yeah. sockets. Yeah. Like, what yeah, a yeah. shitty set. <laughs> you haven't been around for a year, bro. Yeah, you got you to gotta practice that stuff. That's funny, yeah. Are you, but you're still having fun with it? I'm loving it, man. I love it. Good. I, yeah, it's actually kind of my getaway on, fr- on a lot of Friday, Saturdays when I go to the Laugh Factory Comedy Store, catch up with the guys, have a glass of wine with Jamie over there, Jamie yep. Masada. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I still love being on stage. So what, what, would, what, do you, what would you say to people who... You know, maybe they're um, children of immigrants or immigrants themselves or just people who feel out of place with everything that's going on in the world now. Do you have good advice that you would give to people who are maybe struggling with their identity or how they fit Listen, into the I world? I just say, I always say, whatever it is, if you find that passion, go for it. I think one of the biggest fears immigrant kids have are their parents because our parents do push us into like, do this, do this, do this. I just met a kid the other day who was like, I want to I, I want to write an animation. I just sold an idea to Bento Box and I want to go do it. But I'm also thinking of maybe becoming a doctor because right. my parents want me to be a doctor. And I was like, listen, dude, do the animation. Write, 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 write to the point where it's undeniable. So they can't, you know, so they can't come back and, 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 and uh, you know, push you, you know, because at the end of the day, it was that light bulb that I had. I got to live my life for myself, not right. for my parents. Right. You know, when I'm 40, when I'm 50, I, I'd rather be happy and maybe even failed at what I tried to do than being, you know, some miserable 
doctor or lawyer or something because I because I wanted to make my parents happy. Well, it's like that guy who was sixty and was like, yeah. I wish I had done that. Oh, why didn't you do that? Well, I want to make my parents happy. How are they doing? Well, they're not alive anymore. Exactly. Oh, okay, so you just didn't do yeah. the thing that you wanted. Yeah. So to. that's my advice to all the all the kids. I always say, I, like the younger people that come up, like, I want to be in stand up. Just do it. Just get up and do it and screw everything else. Like, because think about it, they don't have a mortgage, they don't have kids to worry about, they don't have any, anything. Just get an apartment and go. And then, what's something that you're? Uh, this is a question I've been asking people a lot lately. What What are you What are you joyful about now? And it can be anything. Really, I mean, I, I would have to say my kids. I do. I feel like uh, whenever I tell uh, friends of mine that don't have kids, I go, you know, there's a lot of there's obviously a lot of stresses that come with it. There's a lot of difficulty that comes with it. But you get to almost like relive your youth again as you go to, you know, whatever, whether it's soccer or the birthday parties or whatever it is, or some of the things that they say. And just like my daughter, just is, you know, she's creative and she keeps coming up with stuff. Like she came up with this little fort that she made by her bed and then she took these pieces of paper and she cut those out and put it on her headboard. And, and then she made eyes out of the headboard. Oh, and, that's awesome. And I was like, and I was like, this is Awesome, and I, and I just I'm excited to see what she does next, you know. Uh, or my son now. There's a book called Shahnameh, the King of Kings, uh, by a guy named Ferdowsi, who was like this famous Persian poet. I've always wanted to read it my whole life. I've never gotten around to reading it, and we discovered this big, colorful picture, uh, uh, a version of it. So I've been reading that to my son every night after I listen to John Lithgow talk about how his dad used to read to him. Oh, that's great. So let me do that. My son loves it. He's like, can we read Sean Amit tonight? And like, I'm hearing the stories for the first time and I'm intrigued and he's sitting there on my arm and it's just that kind of stuff makes me joyful. And you can legally steal their airline frequent flyer miles. Absolutely. So that's another bonus. Yeah, right theirs there. is mine. Um, I, you know, I just think the world of you. I'm so happy for everything that's been going on. It's it, it blows my mind that I've known you as long as I have, which is probably almost 20 years. Yeah. And uh, and just congratulations on everything, and also congratulations on you know finding positivity in a world that you know maybe it would be easy for you to be like you know what fuck everything. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's good, and I think. You know, having a strong, positive voice in the world, whatever your back, cultural background is, is really, really important right now. And not always the high road is not always an easy path. Yeah, yeah. But it is ultimately worth it at the end of the day. No, man. Listen, right back at you. I'm so happy for all your success and just you're a good person. You've been a good person. I always say like, there's no reason not to be a good person. Right, like, right, why right. be a dick? It's right, so much right. easier to be nice. <laughs> it's so much easier to be nice, and and you feel better. Y- yeah, you yeah. Know? At so, the end of the day, you do. Yeah. At the end of the day, you do. I try. Yeah. You know, I have moments, but yeah. usually when I'm being a dick, it's I'm in traffic. Oh yeah, and I'm screaming, but I, I but I don't want other people to know that I'm yelling at yes. them. In traffic. I'm just kind of yelling. It's it's really kind of a it's really kind of a, a a closed off version of what the internet is, which is just yelling in your car. Yeah, yeah, you it's gotta just let that, it out. But on the car, but on the internet, other people see it. But in your car, it's like that guy is. It's fine. He's not going to know that I was like, yeah. what a piece of shit. Yeah, he yeah. got in my lane and yeah. slowed down. Yeah. Oh, I literally made a U-turn to take that parking spot, and you took it. Fuck you. Yeah. That person's not doing anything wrong. Yeah. That's totally their right to get. Yeah. But it just makes me able to go. Oh, fuck that guy. I can't believe it. You know, yeah. it just doesn't mean anything. That's but funny. I would never say that to them. Yes, ever. yes, yes. It's good therapy. It is. Yeah, that's a, yeah. a little bit of good therapy. Yeah. So if you see me driving around in my car and I'm yelling. Just, it's not, let it go. Not you. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah, me. Yeah, 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 let it go. But uh, thank you so much for being Thanks here. For having me, I man. really appreciate it, Maz. And um, yeah, in, enjoy your burrito, everyone. The end. ID 10 T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. 
Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.